Hey church, it's great to see you again. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors of Cedar Mill Bible. And last week in our Sunday gathering, we talked about what it looks like to grow in our trust of the Lord. And I've been thinking all this week about trust, about how it's so easy for you and me to say that we trust someone or to say that we trust something when there's no risk, when there's no danger or pressure or stress. But all of a sudden when danger increases or when risk goes up, that's when our trust is truly tested. I was in high school and our family took a trip to the beach and I had an opportunity on that trip to go parasailing. And if you know anything about parasailing, what they do is they strap you into a harness and then they strap a parachute on the back of your harness and then, then they strap the front of you via a long rope to a speedboat. And then as the boat speeds along, the parachute fills with air and they let the rope out and you, slow, and you float slowly but surely up, up, up into the air. Yeah, I can see that some of your palms are getting sweaty just by thinking about this. And I was in high school, so I agreed to do it. And I remember as I was sitting in the boat getting all hooked up, the guy's putting all the gear on me. I, I distinctly remember thinking to myself, this looks really secure. This harness looks like it's in good shape. These ropes don't look like they're too old. These clips look really strong and sturdy. I, I feel really, really safe. In fact, I think I'm gonna have a really good time. But then something happened. The boat started speeding forward, the parachute filled with air, and I began to float up. And it was one of those moments, maybe you've had an experience like this where from the ground, when I was on the beach looking up at the other people parasailing, it didn't look like they were that high up. But then all of a sudden when it was me, when I was the one in the harness, when I was up in the air, all of a sudden I realized 300 feet off the ground, that's a long way up. That is no joke. And the truth of the matter is, it's not that scary. It, you're just sitting there, you're in a harness, there's a parachute behind you, you're floating along. Um, it's relatively quiet, actually. And other than the fact that you're hundreds of feet off the ground, it's really pretty peaceful. But here's what I remember from my parasailing experience. All those straps and all those ropes and all those clips that I felt so safe and secure about down in the boat that I had convinced myself that I really and truly trusted, all of a sudden when I was up in the air, I began to doubt them. Suddenly I began to look at them and wonder, how old are they? How many times have they been used? Suddenly I began to imagine them, them breaking or snapping or ripping. Suddenly I started to imagine what it was going to be like when they broke and I fell and plummeted hundreds of feet to my death in the middle of the ocean. You see, these same things that I had a lot of faith in, in the safety and security of the boat, now up in the sky when faced with danger, I didn't have as much faith. It was harder to trust them when my life was on the line. And last week, friends, we started the story of Elijah. And we learned how God was building faith in Elijah for this big moment in the future when he would have to trust God greatly, when he would have to trust God in the face of tremendous danger, when Elijah would have to trust God with his very life on the line. And if you remember the story... 
Elijah is a prophet in the nation of Israel, and it's a pretty inconvenient time to be a prophet in Israel. It's a pretty scary time because Ahab is king. He marries an evil pagan woman named Jezebel, and together they make it their goal to eliminate, to kill all the prophets of the Lord in the entire country. But Elijah, in spite of all this danger, goes to Ahab and he confronts him, and he tells him, There's going to be a drought. There's not going to be any rain in the land. In fact, there's not even going to be dew on the grass until Elijah says so. So Elijah does this really dangerous, this really bold thing. And then God comes to him and takes him east, takes him to this place called the Kareth Ravine. And God says, here I'm going to take care of you. And God sends ravens in the morning and the evening to bring him food. And then God puts Elijah by this little brook that's going to supply him with water. And it's in this ravine that Elijah is learning to trust God, to rely on him and depend on him. But then at the end of the story, if you remember from last week, the little brook that Elijah is by, it dries up. So this thing that Elijah has come to trust and lean on and depend on, it suddenly goes away. And now Elijah is going to have to turn to God and learn to trust and depend on him again. And I'm convinced that God does this, that God dries up this little brook because he knows that there's still more for Elijah to learn. He knows that Elijah's faith, that Elijah's trust still has to grow if he's going to be ready to take on the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel in the future. And so today, we're looking at part two of the story. We're looking at the Trusting God training program of Elijah, part two. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 again this morning. And so if you have a Bible, you can grab it, turn to 1 Kings. We're going to begin in verse eight. This is just after that little brook has dried up. Here's how the story starts. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And he's real specific about where he's sending Elijah. And and the author lets us know this for a very specific reason. Because someone else is from the region of Sidon. Do you remember who it is? We talked about it last week. That's right. Jezebel is from Sidon. The evil God-prophet-killing queen is from Sidon. This is her home territory. And now God is sending Elijah right into the eye of the storm. And friends, here's what I believe we learn right away in this story. God does not always keep us far from danger. God does not always keep us far from danger. That is not his goal. In fact, he never once in all of scripture tells his followers, you, if you follow me, are going to live a danger-free life. On the contrary, over and over and over again in the Bible, we see God calling his followers to move towards danger, not away from it. God says to Moses, Let's go back to Egypt, Moses. Let's go and confront Pharaoh. Let's go tell him to let my people go. God says to David, follow me down into this valley, David, because this giant Philistine, he may be bigger than you, but he ain't bigger than me. God says to Gideon, let's go into battle with just a few hundred soldiers. 
And even though the enemy has thousands, remember this, Gideon, I will be with you. And God says to Peter, I know the storm is raging. I know the waves and wind are scary. But step out of the safety and security of that boat, Peter. Trust me. Put your faith in me and come walking on the water right over here. You see, friends, the scriptures seem to tell us that we do not have a God of safety. We have a God of provision. We don't have a God that keeps us from danger, but a God who promises to be close when danger is near. In fact, I believe we don't even have a God who says it's all going to be okay. We have a God who says, I'll be with you even when it's not okay. You see, the question for us today, friends, is this, and it's an important one. Do we have enough faith in our God to face danger with courage and confidence? Do we have enough faith in our God to face danger with courage and confidence? Because God knows that's what Elijah's going to need. He's going to need great confidence and great courage for the danger that lies ahead. Verse 9. Go at once to Zarephath and Sidon and stay there, God tells Elijah. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. I love how polite Elijah is. And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is not good news. I mean, put yourself in Elijah's shoes here. God sends him to this dangerous land, and when he shows up, the woman who's supposed to take care of him can't even take care of herself. In fact, she's got only one meal left. She's going to eat it with her son, and she's going to die. And I can just picture Elijah saying to God, or at least thinking, seriously, Lord, Seriously, you send me to this dangerous land and this is the person you've sent me to? This is the one? This is the one you're going to offer me provision through? You've got to be kidding me. Tim Keller points out to us that this woman is wrong in every single way. That she actually doesn't fit any of the right categories. She's a woman and she's a widow. She's racially wrong. She's religiously wrong. She's a pagan, and she's poor. And she's not just poor. She's dirt poor. She's got almost nothing. This woman is not who Elijah hoped for or expected. And friends, that's exactly the point. Our God loves to use unexpected people to do unexpected things. Our God loves to use unexpected people to do unexpected things. I remember when I was a youth pastor back in Minnesota and this guy from our church named Dave came to talk to me about volunteering on our youth staff. And Dave was a really, really nice guy. But if I'm honest, he didn't really fit the picture of what I hoped for for our youth team. Dave wasn't young 
Dave wasn't cool, Dave wasn't hip, and Dave did not seem to be in touch with youth culture in any way whatsoever. But Dave was willing, and Dave was really eager. And as time went on, Dave was put in charge of one of our youth small groups. And I have to say this, the kids that ended up meeting in Dave's little small group, they got tremendously loved on. And even though Dave did like to talk too much sometimes, he built up and encouraged the snot out of those kids. And in the end, this guy who I didn't really think fit the mold ended up being a tremendous blessing to our youth. In fact, some of those students went on to go into ministry, and I believe it's in part because of the way that God used Dave to minister to our students. You see, we can never put a limit on who God can use because our God loves to use unexpected people to do unexpected things. And this is going to be a really important lesson for Elijah because all of us, including Elijah, wrestle with this feeling. We wrestle with it at some point that maybe we're not the right person. Maybe we're not enough. Maybe we're not smart enough or strong enough or rich enough or spiritual enough. So how in the world could God use me? And those lies, friends, those things that we're tempted to think, they hold us back from being and becoming and doing the things that God actually longs for us to do. Because here's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say, even when you are weak, you are strong. When you lean into the leading and power of the Lord. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Even when you are weak, you are strong. When Christ is at work in you and through you, God loves to use unexpected people to do unexpected things. So Elijah goes to this poor pagan widow. He asks her for food. She says, I don't have any. We're going to go home and eat our last meal and die. And then listen to what Elijah says next. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Isn't it interesting here how Elijah is called to give the same advice to this woman that God wants to give to Elijah? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, woman. Don't be afraid, Elijah. Don't be afraid of not having enough. Don't be afraid of the struggle that lies in front of you. Don't be afraid of the danger you're facing. You see, Elijah gives this advice to her, but God says it's the same advice that you need to hear, Elijah. Trust in me. Trust me to do the unbelievable. Trust me to come through for you in the face of unbelievable odds because I'll do it. And then after Elijah gives this advice to this woman, we have maybe my favorite verse of the entire story, verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. Friends, in the midst of this woman's poverty, In the midst of this woman's desperate need, she's radically generous to Elijah. In the midst of this woman's desperate need, she's radically generous to Elijah. And here is a lesson from this story I believe is so important for you and me today, especially in the times that we're living in right now. 
We have an opportunity to grow in our trust of God through radical generosity in our time of need. We can grow in our trust of God through radical generosity in our time of need. Because this woman, she doesn't give out of her abundance. This woman doesn't give when her cupboards are full or when she has a lot. She gives when times are hard and when pickings are slim. She gives when she's got nothing. And that, my friends, is an act of faith that the Lord will continue to bless. Jesus actually talks about this very thing in Luke chapter 21. He observes rich people giving out of their abundance and then he watches a poor widow put two mites into the offering, just a few cents. And after she does this and he observes it, listen to what he says. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. You see, Jesus is inviting us into radical generosity sacrificial giving, even in our moments of uncertainty, even in our moments of great need. And so the question for us today, friends, I believe is this, where could we be radically generous in this time of great need? Who could you give to? Who could you bless in these days? And I'm serious, I know some of you are hurting. I know you've lost jobs. I know you've lost income. I know you've lost boatloads, some of you, of your life savings in the stock market. But I'll tell you what you haven't lost. You haven't lost a God who promises to be with you and calls you to radically and generously bless people in our world. You haven't lost a God who says, I'll provide for you tomorrow the same way I provided for you today. You haven't lost a God who says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all things will be added unto you. You haven't lost him. So again, here's my challenge. And it's not even really my challenge. I believe it's the the challenge of scripture. I believe it's the call of the Bible in our lives. Who could we bless right now? Who could you be a blessing to in these days. Maybe there's a friend who's lost a lot. Maybe there's a coworker who has been laid off. Maybe there's a neighbor or someone you've heard of or a person you don't even know that well up the street and God is calling you in your moment of need and in your moment of uncertainty to just go and put a gift card in their mailbox or to stick some cash in an envelope and slip it inside their front door or to make a meal and drop it off on their doorstep. Maybe, just like this widow, God wants to shift your attention from yourself to others. Maybe God wants to shift your attention from, I might might not have enough to get through, to who might I be a blessing to. Because when we are radically generous, what I believe we learn is this. We learn what this woman learns. We, We learn what Elijah learns, that God will come through that he is faithful, that he can be trusted even in the hardest of times. You know, I was talking this week to this week to some people who have lost a lot in these last days and talking to them really blessed me because several of them said to me, you know, even though we've lost a lot, we still have a lot. And so Pastor Day, if you hear of people who've lost more, who are in desperation, who are struggling, who have need, you let us know because we would love to be a blessing to them. 
And friends, when I heard that, when those people said those words to me, it challenged me, it inspired me, and it got me thinking, who is God calling me to bless in these days? Who does God want me to reach out to and give a gift to right now? Verse 15, the woman went away and did as Elijah had told her. Amazing, amazing faith, amazing commitment, radical generosity. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You see, friends, when in times of risk and danger and struggle, we choose to trust God, that's when we learn that God is trustworthy. That's when we can see that God will come through for us. But then the story takes a turn. A little shift, and at the end of the story, something really unexpected happens. Something that you aren't anticipating. This woman, her son, he gets sick and he dies. And all of a sudden, there are all these questions like, what is happening? What is God doing? How could he allow this to happen? Even Elijah has questions because this is not how the story is supposed to go. But then, it doesn't go this way because Elijah takes the boy upstairs and he prays to God and he prays that God would spare his life and the young boy is miraculously raised to life. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we realize, ah, this is a resurrection story. And it's here to remind us of something, friends. It's here to remind us of something so, so very important as we step into and face danger in our world. It reminds us of this. No matter what happens, God is still with us and he is still in control. It reminds us that even if the worst things do happen, even if we are called to face death, we can have courage and confidence in our God even then. You see, friends, this is why the New Testament church had such courage in the face of great danger. Not because they thought everything would turn out peachy keen and be all rosy, not because they had this delusion that bad stuff would never happen to them. No, they had confidence because they were convinced. They didn't just sort of believe. They were convinced that death had been defeated and sin overcome when Jesus walked out of that tomb on Easter Sunday. And it was this truth, it was that truth, the truth of the resurrection the belief and confidence in, in a God who can defeat death that kept them going, that kept them going even in real, real hard times. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that same truth is available to you and to me. That same confidence and courage in the face of danger is offered by the Lord to us because that same Jesus who died from them and who defeated death for them, he's died for you and me, and he's defeated death for us. And so we remember today that we can have courage to face even life's greatest dangers because of Christ and what he did on the cross and how he conquered sin and death in the grave. And we remember this truth in a really special and significant way. It's through this meal that we call the Lord's Supper. It's where we take bread to remember his body that was broken and the cup to remember his blood that was shed for you and me. 
And through this act, through this meal, we declare this, we make this declaration, our sins have been forgiven. Sin and death have been defeated forever. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray, and then I'm, I'm gonna invite you to take a minute to gather your cups and your juice and your bread and your crackers to get whatever you need to get, and we are gonna share the Lord's Supper together this morning. And I'll also just say, if you don't have the exact elements we use at church, that's okay. You can use whatever you have. Any liquid will do. You can even use water. Just get some liquid, get some, some bread or some crackers that you have, and we're gonna take a few minutes. We're gonna share the Lord's Supper. We're gonna receive these elements, and as we do, we're gonna make this declaration. Jesus, you are Lord, and you have won the victory. You are trustworthy in the face of great danger, even in the face of death. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your willingness to take on our sin on the cross. We thank you that, that you forgive us, that you love us through your death, and that you've defeated death through your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that in this meal we can remember what you've done. We can declare that you are Lord and we can gain confidence to face the challenges and struggles of this world. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us when we don't deserve it. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for walking with us in whatever we face. We love you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.